0: Parfait. We're into the last 16 today. Two of the places have been taken by teams who are hugely unfancied or were hugely unfancied at the beginning of the tournament. Cameroon finished top of their group but they're still probably underdogs as they come into a game against Colombia who qualified as one of the best third place sides while Costa Rica had to fight all odds finishing second beating Scotland and Sweden in the process and they now come up against Czechoslovakia who only finished behind Italy. I hope you're all rested up after that rest day yesterday. We've Given a, a bit of a break. Um, if you've missed any of the previous podcasts, there's some great backstory in each of those. So please do go back and give them a listen. Gentlemen, I always feel when there's a bit of a rest day from a World Cup, it's tough to adjust on those days off. You're so used to having something to go to every single day. Even if the game doesn't mean that much to you, you, you keep it on in the background or you, you keep an eye out how it's going. You try and find the highlights later on. How, do, how does the rest day go for you guys?
1: Grand. I, I didn't even notice it go. <laughs>
2: Yeah,
0: it's, it's always a bit of a, a sad
2: occasion for me because I'm a big fan of the group stages, actually, of, of a World Cup because there's more teams, there's more kind of intersecting stories, and then it's all a bit cutthroat from here on out.
0: Yeah, and you know, in reality, when we're recording these, Premier League football has returned and it is shit. It's been absolutely terrible to watch, so it's, uh, it's nice to be getting back to the stuff of the 90s. For those who are worried about the headlines they might have missed yesterday, I'll give you a quick run through. Essentially, Florida passed a law which prohibited the wearing of a thong bathing suit and also Adam Sandler joined Saturday Night Live. Let's get on to the football then. Please do. <laughs> We've got Cameroon versus Colombia to start us off. Dave, you can take us through this one.
1: Yeah, one of those um, weird, interesting games, I suppose, that the World Cup sometimes throws up. Colombia maybe underachieved. Cameroon very much overachieved, beaten argentina in their first game winning group b so one of those fixtures that maybe wasn't expected to come up a game of two even sides and it went all the way to extra time first 90 minutes probably colombia were the better side looking back think they should have won it uh, freddie rink hitting the post with a, a free kick from from outside the box in the first half but it went to extra time and roger miller not Roger Miller. Roger Miller, as the uh, Sunday Independent at the, t- at the time called him, made the difference in extra time with two goals in five minutes. The first goal was a very well taken effort just in the first minute of the second half of extra time. And the second one, Rene Higuita, who we, we all know is a bit of a character, showed his character to, uh, I suppose, the ultimate extent when he uh, dribbled out of the box and, and lost the ball to Miller or Mia, whatever you want to call him. Colombia did pull one back later on uh, through Rodine, but it wasn't enough in the end.
0: Funny for Colombia, they seem to have at times switched it on when they're under pressure. Like, I mean, they only just qualified with that late draw against Germany, where they've been pretty awful all game. And I know they had chances in this game. They probably, as you said, should have scored earlier, but that goal that comes right at the end is a lovely bit of work and you're thinking you've kept this far far too late you could do this earlier on in the game and and you might have pulled Cameroon apart once he got that early goal the funny thing about Mia coming on he comes on in the second half and I was thinking to myself at that point oh he'll be fresh going into extra time and then you remember he's 37 and I had I, I joked with you guys earlier in the tournament I think he came on in one of the group games at about 30 minutes in and you're thinking that's probably too long to be leaving a 37 year old in there but even still, for that first goal, he does the same thing as he did in the group stage. He has that skip in his step. He's able to just move by defenders, even though he has been on the field for 70 minutes, which is probably still a lot for a player of 37, who, again, you always feel like you might have lost the yard of pace.
1: He's not 77, he's 37.
0: Yeah, but still, compared to the rest of them out there, you, you just, you do always forget that, you know? There's another mm-hmm. thing, actually, I, I noticed that Francois Omanbiak was talking to, to Raf Diallo for RT recently enough, just on the memory of the Argentina game, but he mentions a couple of different things about the tournament as he's going along, and he claims that that celebration, I'm not sure if this is true because I, I wouldn't have seen it at the time, but that celebration was sort of just made up at the World Cup, the little wiggle in the corner, because he never did it for for club sides, um, in France, or anything like that, so I think he uh, said
1: that himself as well did he?
0: yeah uh, i wasn 't sure if i wasn 't sure if he had actually um ever ever used an old Robbie Keane or oh. oh, I 'll just bring it out On the special occasion's like it's too many special occasions <laughs> yeah,
1: Robbie Cameron, I think Were the story of Italian ninety, but I think people forget the how good that that Colombia team was, like the Valorama gita Rincon they they were a classy, classy side, and the fact that um Maybe they didn't fire at all during the tournament. It's kind of surprising considering that they, they're probably one of, the, one of the better teams at the tournament.
2: Their manager, Matarana, is actually a, a qualified dentist, but obviously they weren't well-drilled well enough on this occasion. But actually, Matarana was, uh, I think, the only black manager at this World Cup. And I think there's been, in total, probably fewer than 10 black managers at the World Cup, which is scandalous. Hmm.
1: I think there was one at the last World Cup. Possibly the it's Senegal crazy. manager
2: was a CSA. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous.
0: Let's move on to the other game today then, Czechoslovakia versus Costa Rica. Uh, Turlock, you're going to take us through this game.
2: Yeah, both teams really impressive to date and um, probably exceeding expectations. Uh, the Costa Rican team, it's particularly impressive that, they, that they've, um, they've come through with such flying colours because a lot of the players are, are home-based part-timers and the manager, Bora Milanovic had pretty much cleared out the old guard and replaced them with younger, more malleable players who he he could fit into his system. Among the occupations that their players have, the features in the media before this game, one of them is a mechanic and one of them is a chemical salesman, which I might suggest there might might be job opportunities in Italian sport if he wants to stay on after the tournament. I'm not sure which player that was. Kubik comes back in for Czechoslovakia after a suspension, and Roger Gomez is suspended for the Costa Ricans, who've typically only played one up, one up top so far. This game, also notable for a, a very low attendance in Bari, and partly that's because 15,000 tickets have been snapped up by Swedish fans because they assumed they would be playing in this game. In fact, they are already back home, having been knocked out in the first round. So that doesn't particularly adds to the atmosphere. It's interesting that this game, almost the result was almost decided before the game even took place because Costa Rica's star of the tournament arguably had been their their goalkeeper, Conejo. And he unfortunately had picked up a very nasty knock in the final group game against Sweden. And uh, he was ruled out of this game. He was replaced by Barantes of Punta Arenas. Uh, Very difficult for a goalkeeper to come in middle of World Cup. And perform yeah. particularly when you're only five foot eleven, as Barantas is, um, and yeah, clearly not of the not of the same kind of quality as Conejo.
0: It's it's a funny tournament for backup goalkeepers, isn't it? It, it? it seems to be out of the ordinary how many backup goalkeepers either featured, uh, started because of say something like Cameroon and Kono getting in because of disputes, or whether it was Gorka coming in for for injuries, but it seems to be one of those tournaments where you just saw an awful lot of uh, backup goalkeepers.
1: And Dave Besson who was just along for the ride.
0: (laughs) Unfortunately, Jerry Jerry Payton
2: doesn't get a sniff, although there's an interesting story about Niall Quinn's capacity as a backup goalkeeper coming, coming in a future episode, so watch out for that. Conejo, the Costa Rican goalkeeper is really kind of the Packy Bonner of, of, of Costa Rica. He's uh, you know a legendary goalkeeper who was particularly remembered for his exploits at Italia 90, but in fact he only won he only won 29 caps, which surprises me. But anyway, he's not there, and his absence is very keenly felt because Skuravi gives checks the back the lead after just 11 minutes. A really nice kind of sculpted cross from Arabchik. Gourabi heads past a completely immobile goalkeeper to make it 1-0. Casso has a good chance for Costa Rica before half time, but it's still 1 0 at half time. And then 10 minutes into the second half, it looks as though the, the Costa Rican fairy tale might have a bit of legs in it yet because Gonzalez heads in a kind of a, a longish range hedger, header from Marchena's free kick. Stachkal, again, not, not covering himself in glory. But that comeback doesn't last very long because seven minutes later, really bizarre goal. There's a long period of kind of. Almost like a, almost like kids trying to juggle the ball in a in a schoolyard at lunchtime and not not getting very far. It's head
0: tennis, isn't it? It's, it's, it's absolute f- head tennis. It's they're just heading the ball around at the back, of Costa Rica between them, and and this is not too far as you it's said after they've equalised. They're like, get like if Jack Charlton was out there, he'd be swinging haymakers. Like this kind of stuff would not fly. Absolutely, but the Czechs get in. The Czech Slovaks get in on it as well. That you know that they're kind of. It does,
2: it does become almost like a, an impromptu game of heads and volleys in in the penalty area, but anyway, Scaravi gets sick of that, sick of that and he stoops to head in the second goal uh, for Czechoslovakia. Thereafter it, there, there's no real there's no real further prospect of of Costa Rica pulling any more miracles out of the bag.
1: Newspapers are one of the very few things that come cheap in Rome. The eternal city is certainly cashing in on the World Cup Finals. It's become rip-off city. Whether it's a restaurant, a bar or a shop, the chances are that you'll have to pay well over the top. Taxes seem to have a supplement for just about everything. One tried to charge me an extra three pounds just because he had a radio.
2: After 77 minutes, Hasek is tripped by Marchena about 25 yards out. And the free kick, twenty-five yards out, is, is beautifully placed into the into the top corner by Kubik. Again, the goalkeeper doesn't move at all. You can really see the kind of the rustiness, or the, I don't know if it was rustiness or nerves affecting him, but certainly that seems to have sealed checks or sealed Costa Rica's fate. And then, with just eight minutes to go, Scuravi completes his hat trick, heading in a corner at the near post. Again, defence and goalkeeper fairly culpable. This was actually, I remember my father explaining to me the concept of a hat-trick just before Scarabi got his. So this was, I can confidently say, the first hat-trick I ever saw, oh. uh, which, is a, which is a feather in the, in the cap for Mr. Scurabi, um, who actually moves on to five goals in the tournament. So he's the top scorer. Much like a lot of the kind of more prolific players at Italia 90, he'd only ever scored six international goals going into the competition. So he's almost doubled his tally at the World Cup finals themselves. But he's certainly on the radar of a lot of major European clubs. And it looks as though he'll be staying in Italy with Genoa uh, once the tournament is over. So that's it. For once Czech Slovakia, a well-merited win, although while still won all past the hour mark. Costa Rica heading home after what will become as a kind of legendary and iconic period in their in their country's history, although Barantes, the standing goalkeeper. Gets several death threats and uh, has to be kind of sneaked back into the country, which is a little bit harsh. It's kind of a bit of a sour note to end the fairy tale on. But the fairy tale is very well remembered in Costa Rican society because in 2014, a feature film was produced um, on the 1990 World Cup journey of the Costa Rican team, which, as far as I know, is the only drama film based around Italia 90 itself. I know the snapper or the van featured Italia 90 tangentially but uh yeah we were speculating I think it's it's probably well past time for an Irish equivalent and Mm. uh you're just wondering who might who might fill the key roles in a
0: a drama film based on Ireland's Italia 90. As as you said it's it's tough thinking of these roles because it's never really done I would say in any sort of English filmmaking you know I mean I just said tangentially there's loads of films that sort of play off that Ireland are in the qualifiers or something or Ireland are in the tournament and people are going to see them and you make a movie around that but it's it's tough to think directly of how many I mean Mike Bassett is probably one in England that that would lean towards that kind of thing but yeah I'm not sure about you guys the the ones I know for sure who I cast would be Aidan Gillen as Ray Houghton tonally they're not quite there but look he's a short man he'll, he'll he's got that kind of figure he I'm, I'm trusting him to do to do a role with it he'll just have to um raise well enough spoken as well and they can give a little bit of poetry so I can I can see it working out relatively well I'm giving Colin Farrell Ronnie Whelan I think he can if you think of his intermission days he can really hit that um a very common uh <laughs> style of speaking I think it works well I've got a bit lazy as I've gone on I've casted both Gleason's uh, Brendan and uh, and Donal. Brendan's going to be Cascarino. Uh, I just feel, in terms of shape, <laughs> they probably match up quite nicely. I gave Donal Staunton just because of that. Yeah, yeah. He it can fill in there. I've had trouble as we've gone along fitting a few I more. Think you've
1: been in trouble before, yeah. <laughs> I've
0: <I'm, I'm> given <laughs> here's a dubious one you won't like. I've given Packy Bonner to Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, okay. I, it. Yeah, I thought I'd get a bit more pushback on that one. Danny Dyer, Randy Townsend. That, that, I, that was my idea as so well. I think ah. that's, that's stellar casting. The very right uh, up for it. The very last one I have for you is, um, I thought of Mick Byrne. And I thought, do you remember Mean Machine with Vinnie Jones? Mm-hmm. David Kelly who's in that? He's the little old Irish guy. I think he's Doc or something like that. Yeah, and, he's
2: no longer with us. Yeah,
0: and he's the, only, he's the only good part of that film. He's the only good actor in that film. He genuinely is a heartfelt then And I thought, you know David Kelly would do a good Mick Byrne now. That's, that's I, about I all.
1: think we all know that this film would be cast exclusively of love-hate actors.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm, we're trying to fi- figure out where we'd fit Tom Von Lawler. Yeah,
2: that's not an obvious role for him, really. No. Um, I think if we're casting the net a bit wider, James Cromwell yeah. would be a great Jack Jarton, although he is 80 and only five years younger than Jack Charlton. And I think for Morris Setters, da- Danny DeVito would do a job.
0: Sure. <laughs> I was—I mean, Tom Von Lauder. we could give Tom Von Lauder Dunphy, actually, because I was trying to think who could we fit him in the team? And I was going to say Chris Morris, but I think Robert Sheen would probably do a reasonable Chris Morris, actually. He's kind of got the similar hair.
1: Bad at um, football.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I also, I th- there's an element of, I think we should let Dunphy play himself. I think Dunphy's you know do a big time role and and what better role than than for Amo to play himself on this one when you were saying first ever hat-trick I always remember the first one uh the the old Silver Fox uh Fabrizio Ravinelli was a 3-3 three, three or 3 I can't remember I know Middlesbrough scored three goals against Liverpool and uh 96 or something like that and he he I think I can't it might have been a perfect hat-trick it might have been a header left foot right foot but I always remember that one thinking he was brilliant and yeah he he wasn't uh at that stage was quite all that good right well that's it for for today's game so we've we got uh, a little bit of of the uh irish squad that we can check into turlock uh we do
2: um i know i know again again we kind of have saturated this but it, it's hard to explain just how just how dominant the chart and dunphy um beef was in the media it, it was again I suppose similar to Saipan, it was something that kind of divided everyone, although by no means equally. It was, it was overwhelmingly in favour of Charlton, but everyone was, everyone was talking about it. We may skip over that for now because rest assured it will keep rumbling. But Jack Charlton has been forced to deny that he's going to leave the Ireland job after the World Cup. Um, I think those rumours took hold when he, when he declared um, somewhat, somewhat alarmingly that he wasn't enjoying the World Cup at all. Um, and that uh, he, he didn't quite say he couldn't wait for it to be over, but uh, certainly gave the impression and actually said explicitly that it wasn't, it wasn't an enjoyable experience. Jack says he hasn't even seen Romania on TV, but uh, he's going to have a look at a couple of tapes. He said when Romania were playing, there was always a, a more interesting game going on. He's actually a great man at those just kind of really subtly snide mind games without being kind of overtly insulting. He really had a talent for cutting teams and probably more notably players on his own squad, down to size with just kind of a half-raise. That's what's dominating the Irish camp. And meanwhile, Dick Spring has pressured, or is, is calling on Charles Haughey to make Monday a bank holiday um, so everyone can take the day off to watch uh, watch the Romania game. Uh, Haughey describes that idea as zany.
0: Was there not stuff from... Are he stopping something in the UN like a couple of weeks ago to watch a penalty shoot, to watch a, the end of a match or a penalty it's shoot? It's actually,
2: yeah, it's, it's the forthcoming European, or was it EU or EC at the time, but the forthcoming European summit at Dublin Castle, which is happening this week, has basically been organised almost around the Ireland-Romania game. There's a big, there's a huge screen has been erected in the, the precedent marquee at Dublin Castle for, <laughs> at the very least, the journalists' watch. Sounds pretty zany, if you ask me. <laughs> Elsewhere, you were expressing your disappointment that Super Quinn hadn't enlisted Niall Quinn for promotional purposes. In fact, they have. Um, oh. They've set up goal, goal posts all around their, their Dublin stores. And if you score a penalty, in, they're in the, the car park, so if you score... Roy Keane wouldn't have been impressed by this <laughs> at all, but if you score a penalty in the car park, you enter a draw to... Get a ticket to watch the match at the RDS, which is a bit underwhelming as a pro- yeah, as though go. But Pat Quinn says to Niall Quinn, uh, "When you finish your football, we'll always have a place for you on the Super Quinn team." <laughs> oh, and just further alarming news: Ireland have been knocked out of the World Cup in the second round. Uh, but unfortunately, it's just a Sabutio World Cup in Rome.
0: <laughs> Niall no, Quinn working at. I mean, at what point would Niall Quinn's career have dipped so badly that he'd be stocking ch- you could get to the top shelves in Super Queen, I suppose lastly then bit of other news um, Moldova declares independence that kind of further to the amount of sort of global uh, movement and uh, around teams at this World Cup and also uh, please find marijuana at Chuck Berry's home tomorrow we have a really really busy one in store for you two of the most uh, controversial incidents at this World Cup Argentina take on Brazil and we've also got a, a nice fiery little game between West Germany and Netherlands
1: and then we saw again the razor finishing of Roger Miller, a simple skip past one defender and a ferocious shot to put Cameroon ahead. Miller, another goal, and another dance. <laughs> thirty eight year old's brain, the twenty five year old's legs.